0: Good morning. morning. Ahoy, mateys. Uh, I'm going to say a little about songs here in a minute. I was thinking about songs, and uh, I didn't know this until, uh, I didn't remember this until Nathan was playing it, but that song, Nathan, uh, that we just sang together, um, Be Enthroned Upon the Praises of a Thousand Generations, You Are Worthy. Uh, that was the first song I ever played here with our church band, and I remember uh, I remember it very vividly because I had never played with a band, uh, and I'm, I didn't feel like I was good enough, and I was terrified, and I, gosh, I came to practice, and I think Adam Ploy was playing drums, or maybe it was Tom Fick, and there's so many different people, and I mean, I just felt like, I'm not, you know, and then Scott was like, hey, I want you to sing the second part of this, this next song. It's a higher part. You sing higher and uh, all through this life we live, right? And you get higher. And Scott knew what I could do this. So was like, hey, I want you to do that. And I remember like, I listened to that song like a hundred times and I was driving to church that morning. I was like, listening to this song, I was so nervous. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to mess this up and everyone's going to. And I, I don't remember exactly what Scott said, but as we, as we were worshiping together and we prayed, he reminded us that like, man, like these songs, things we sing, like, this is it. Like, 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 the Lord is enthroned upon thousands of generations of people singing. He is worthy. And it gave me this piece of, like, man, like, it doesn't matter. Like, like, God, we're worshiping God here, right? And so, anyway, uh, that matters because I've already been thinking about songs this morning. And Nathan's singing that. I was thinking about, man, I remember, like, gosh, this was the first time I ever played a song here, right? I was really nervous. But when we talk about songs, I, I'm interested in, what is a song you think everyone knows? Like, if you think about right now, you can talk to me. It's okay. I'm not that scary. Jesus loves me. Okay. That's a song that maybe everyone knows, right? And we could probably, like, that's a good, that's a good thought. Uh, when I think about things like that, I think, okay, uh, Amazing Grace was my thought. And I thought, man, I don't know, though, because there's probably, there's probably still a pretty good chunk of people in America, even, that just don't really know that song, right? So is there another song you think that maybe everyone might know? Yes. Twinkle, twinkle, little stars, what I heard. What else? Happy birthday! That was the one. One of my favorite dad jokes is when people start singing happy birthday, I love to say, oh, I know this one. Like, I love to act like, oh, I I know the words of this. It's so lame. I didn't do that until I became a father. But you sing happy birthday a lot, and it's just like, yeah, everyone knows this song. Uh, A quick story. Uh, At one point, I had watched a video of an elderly couple, and they uh, they, they were dying. And their great grandchildren and grandchildren and children were around them, and they all started singing hymns. The great grandma and grandpa, grandma and grandpa, that mom and dad, that, that hymns that they loved. And I don't remember the hymns, but there was this moment of like, this is the songs of those people. Like, these people know these songs, and they sing them. And as and I started thinking, like, man, what are the songs? Of our people, right, and in the worship team, you you know if you 're looking at me we maybe have mentioned this idea before, but like like it, in worship music in general right there's a song everywhere you spit, like if you 've picked up today there's a song written right and it just, it's just different than it used to be. And I could talk about, we could say things like, Man, modern worship songs stink. And now, some of them are pretty great, right? Um, and it should be the case that God inspires us to sing, right? Sing songs and his spiritual hymns together. So thank God that people write songs. Nathan wrote a song recently. It's incredible. We sang it together. That should be happening. But then some of these songs aren't so great. But then, like, if we could be singing a different worship song every Sunday, then it's really hard for us to worship together. Because... We don't know these songs. We're singing a different song every Sunday. So that's the challenge. Like, we don't want to sing the same song every Sunday because then it slowly becomes meaningless because that's the kind of cultural posture we have in the West is when you do something routine, we slowly make it selfish and ignore it, right? And so there's this tension of, like, new songs, old songs. But you think about in funerals, You've probably thought about a song that you want played at your funeral. Man, this really captures what I want people thinking about. Or certainly, if you, you've been to a wedding, there's a song played. Uh, or if you become a professional wrestler, you want to have a song when you enter. I don't know if they do that in other sports, but um, that was for you, wrestling person. Um, but like, we have songs, songs have such power. We've been reading a ton of Psalms in our plan rewind. If, if, you, if you're new here, if this is your first time, or, or if you're unfamiliar, our church has been reading through the whole Bible together through a plan with the Bible recap, listening to a podcast every day, and we've been taking the whole narrative of scripture and discovering that all the Bible is one unified story that points to King Jesus. The Bible is one unified story that points to King Jesus. And that's what we've been discovering every week. So last, uh, last Sunday, we kind of covered the majority of 1 Samuel, uh, last Sunday evening. And then, you know, we do it in different chunks. And as God inspires, we're reading through it. If you're interested in that, right, it's not too late. You don't have to like do all this crazy catch up. We've got all these resources. There's some videos that can help, but we've been reading through the Bible. And one of the things that as we plan these sermons that we've noticed is that we've been reading a ton of Psalms. Like those of you who've been doing, like shake your heads, you've been reading a ton of psalms, right? Yeah, and here's the thing. There's not really a week where we get to say... Here's what the Psalms are, except for this week. We made it happen because we need to. There's 150 of these things, right? What are they? There's some really great videos that we put on Facebook. I can text them or email them to you. They will do a lot better justice explaining in a graphical, encouraging way than what I want to take time for this morning. I want to actually read Psalms together. But in general, when we talk about Psalms, right, we want to understand that Psalms are songs. They're poems, right? They're prayers that kind of bridge that line. Because uh, what's the difference between a good poem, a song, and a prayer? Come on, like they, these things kind of bleed together. That was the point, and it's Israel's history. When you think of Psalms, you need to think through, this is telling the entire story of Israel. That was the point. They were taking their situation in life, and they're writing about it. And so this morning, when we're thinking about songs, we're thinking about happy birthday, and songs ever new everyone would have known the Psalms in the majority of the history of the Bible. And in fact, the Psalms were more readily available all through Christian history for people in their homes compared to all the rest of the Bible. All the t- issues of who, you know, translating the Bible and William Tyndall and King James, and all that, before all that was even a huge issue, people would have the Psalter. They would have the Psalms and they would read them. So we could argue Christians have been reading Psalms together for the vast majority of Christian history, for the vast majority of, of the history of Yahweh, speaking to his people, for all of the history of the world. Psalms have been used to discuss who God is. In fact, Psalms is the most quoted book in the New Testament, right? Right next to Isaiah. I think there's like a 12 difference between how many times they're quoted. So we're going to talk about Psalms. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to grab it, open it up. If you don't have a Bible, there's a hard-backed black one that looks something like this. Ah, it'll be in the seats in front of you. You can grab one of those. Uh, if you want to uh, get on your device, if you've got an iPhone or an iPad or some sad, strange alternative, you can get those out and uh, we can look at the Bible together. But I'm going to pray and we're going to be in Psalms 1. We're going to be in John 15 and we're going to be in Romans 1. Those are your touch points. Psalms 1, Romans 1, John 15. That's where we're going. Let's pray together. God, I pray that your spirit would speak as we read your word. You tell us that the words of Jesus are spirit and life. You tell us that, that your word is a lamp to our feet, a light into our path, that we should listen, to light in, to meditate on your word, on your law. Pray that you would help us do that right now, through our brokenness, our distraction, through the different mediums that are here. I pray that your spirit would move and, and speak to us in, in ways that are beyond any words I can say, any, anything else that your word would bear its weight on us. God, may we see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're going to be in Psalms 1 here in just a minute. The Psalms are filled with emotions. And I would just encourage you as a side note, uh, take a posture of reading the Psalms. Life has all these emotions. Christianity, following God, isn't all gumdrops and rainbows and happy, clappy, good. Ah, We are for the Lord. Go God. (laughs) That's not all of life because people die and people sin and people hurt us. And we have addictions and we have all these problems and we have people that are mean and then we get mean and we get selfish and prideful and we argue and we tear things apart. The Psalms have all of that. The Psalms have all of it. The, the why, God, you said you'd be here and you're not. Like they have all this tension, right? And then they have the happy, clappy things. And they have things that are in between. And they have things during times of war and times of exile and times of desolation and times of everything's going great. They have all of it. And God desired to put it all together for us to read, to worship him. And I think that's beautiful. I think if God really is a loving father who loves us, that he would want our times of despair, darkness, hardness, tensions, anger and our times of joy. He'd want all of it. I want to experience all of those moments with my kids, not just the ones where they're like, "Daddy, I'm cute and you love me." No, no. I want to experience all of it because I'm their dad and I love them. That's why God's given us the Psalms. So, if you don't get to hear that later on today, read the Psalms. Open it up. Read it, connect with it. They help connect us to how to worship God, how to connect with him. Before we get to Psalms, I want to talk about the la- what we talked about Sunday night, okay? quick overview of first Samuel and we're going to do like a four minute crash course and what we talked about Sunday night in case you missed it or to keep you up there are three main characters in first Samuel who are they Samuel right okay that's good that's his name his name's on the book very good who are the other two main characters Saul you have to say it kind of aggressively say Saul you're not saying it aggressively thank you okay now and and then who's the last one David. Right, right. Yeah. So uh, have you ever met a bad David? Come on. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, so you have Saul. Ah, man, I told myself I'm not gonna say anything about the name David. And then I did accidentally. Sorry. But you have Saul. Now we're going to talk about these characters. Saul is at his heart. He looked the part. He looked like he should be king. He looked like he was awesome. But then we come to find out ultimately Saul was full of excuses. He didn't trust the Lord right? He, he had an orbit to himself. This is why we drew this. This is the only reason I got decided to remind this. Saul puts himself in the center and everything, all these little X's, they have to come back to Saul. I'm Saul. I'm the most important. It's all about me. That's what happens. And we have this big tension of the sacrifice in first Samuel 13. Saul is full of excuses. Like you didn't show up, Sam. You said you'd be here. And I had to do this and things are scattered. It's all about him, his image, what he's about. How does that work out for Saul? putting himself in the center and saying, it's all about me. I'm the most important. I've got things figured out. Don't you tell me how to live my life. I'm Saul. I even know how to control God and his sacrifices. This leads to anger, jealousy bitterness, rage, broken relationships. Most importantly, a broken relationship with the Lord. But also you see it with his family. He yells at his son. He throws spears at people randomly. Dude is terrible at throwing spears. I said this Sunday night, but I'm so fascinated by this. If you're king and you miss someone you're throwing spears at twice, then the third time, if you're trying to peg them in the wall, ask anybody next to you who's better at throwing spears. Like goodness, not, no, I mean, maybe you came to church to learn how to throw spears at people. You know, if you're bad at it, ask someone else. But that's so ridiculous. He's so bad at it and that leads us. And I think that the throwing spears, it's kind of a joke, but it's also like, man, when have you thrown spears in your life? When you get really fired up at someone, you just want to pin them against the wall with your words or with your fists or with your spears. Maybe you have spears at your table side. You're just like, ah, yeah, yeah, you know, because that's the noise you make you throw a spear. Ah, yeah, yeah, right. But this is the tension. All of this with Saul leads to an internal corruption and darkness. It's all about him. He's the king. He's full of excuses. And it leads to anger, bitterness, rage, broken relationships. Look at how 1 Chronicles sums up Saul. I love this. 1 Chronicles 10, verse 13 and 14. Saul died for his unfaithfulness to the Lord because he did not keep the Lord's word. He even consulted a a medium for guidance, but he did not inquire of the Lord. So the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, son of Jesse. That's it, period, end of Saul, that's it. That's what, that's, that is how he is remembered. Hear that. He didn't keep the Lord's word. He did not inquire of the Lord. Sums it all. Now let's talk about David. Who's David? There's a phrase about David we love. He's a man after God's own heart. Dude, I love this about David. We talked about this. He was so fascinating to me. David was a no-name shepherd boy from Bethlehem. Emphasis on no name. Even his daddy, when all the other sons went, he's like, Sam is like, do you got another son? Because all these people passed up. Like, do you have another son? Uh, Yeah, I got that one. He's out. He's the shepherd kid. Doesn't even give him a name. Do you know the first time that David's name is mentioned in scripture? After he's anointed. What do we know about David before he's anointed? There's one fact, it's in 1 Samuel thirteen fourteen. when God, when Samuel is rebuking Saul, he says, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. David was a man after God's heart when no one was looking, when no one knew his name. Very different life you see for David than for Saul. And so uh, David ends up writing uh, half the Psalms. That's debatable whether he wrote two of them. 73 or 75, it, it goes back and forth. But we'll say 75, that's where I land. But David wrote a ton of the Psalms, half of them. 75, 150, he wrote them, right? It's very interesting. As we talk about Psalms, David wrote a ton of these. Basically, we can say Saul orbits himself and cares about his appearance and his pride. I think we have a slide for this. And David chases God's heart Even when no one is looking or knows his name. David chases God's heart. Even when no one is looking, no one knows his name. Remember these characters. Here we go with Psalms 1. You ready? Say, I'm ready for Psalms 1. Here it comes. You're so pumped. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law, he meditates day and night. Let's just start with verse one. Keep up the verse one slide. Blessed is the man. Let's talk about the word blessed. Who here remembers oh, the Hebrew word for blessed? My second son. Asher, right? It's Esher, right? That's the name. It means blessed, right? Um, Esher means blessed. And then there's Ashar, which is uh, another word that means right or straight, like a directional thing. And so sometimes blessed is translated as happy or joyful, but that misses the connotation. We talked about this when Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who show mercy, right? We talked about what blessed means. The ultimate Hebrew idea for blessed is this is the good life. This is the right path. How many of you woke up this morning and said, you know what I want to do? I want to go on the crooked path. I want to do the wrong thing. I want today to stink. No, like, come on. You want to be on the right path. Who says what the right path is? How do you know? Is it just what you decide? This, oh, this is, uh, how, and sometimes we get this, uh, man, hot take, but you get this thing in life where it's like, I've got my job and I've got my family, i my life. I've, I've arrived. I've got it figured out. How would you know? What if, what if you're completely off? How would you know? Ah, uh, thank you, Psalms 1. What is the blessed life? What is the good life? What is the right directional path? And then it mentions wicked sinners and scoffers. It's not that. Spoiler, right? They do not. Nor, nor. They don't do this stuff. They don't walk, stand or sit, counsel the wicked way of the sinners. This word wicked, right? Some translations, uh, does anyone have King James when you read it? It's ungodly ungodly yeah so the ungodly it's a good translation because it's basically contrasting it's saying the counsel of those who do things opposed to God intentionally they know the things of God and they've chosen to do their own thing we're going to get to Romans 1 here in a minute but that's the wicked the ungodly the way of sinners sinners it means to miss the mark to know to know there and say I'm just not I'm not doing I'm missing it I'm not doing the right thing I'm intentionally going my my own way right seat of scoffers. Scoffers is an interesting word, and I think it's really relevant to us today because it's the posture of how we use social media, right? Think about how when you're scrolling social media and you're just like, that idiot, those people, them liberals, silly conservatives, bunch of yuppies, whatever it is, whatever goes through your mind. This is the posture of scoffing, right? God has created us to create good things. Evil has created us to scoff. Evil has put in us this idea of let's just scoff and put things down and trash things because then we never have to bear the image of God and create good things and to make something good of the world. No, we just need to poo-poo it, just dump all over it. <laughs> this is the pattern of scoffers, right? And we can laugh about it, but you know people like this. Maybe you are the negative Nancy in the room. Like, let's be real. And this, what does it say? Hey, you want the good life? You don't walk, stand, or sit by these things. Now, hold on. Maybe some of you are skeptical like me and you want to debate. Well, then could I stand with the wicked and can I sit with sinners? Because this is saying I don't sit with scoffers. So can I sit with the sinners? That's not the point. That's not how Hebrews write things, right? These are postures, right? When you're not walking, standing or sitting, what are you doing? You're doing this thing. No, I don't know, right? I made that joke two years ago. Sorry, but like, like, okay, I know maybe you're squatting, but here's the point. They're saying these are postures of life. You spend the vast majority of your life walking, sitting, or standing. And this is not what the blessed life is. It's not found with sinners. It's not found with scoffers. It's not found with wicked, ungodly. What are the postures of your life? Here's the point. Who you spend your time with, what you listen to, what you consume, it matters. It matters. Every, say everything is formative. Formative. Everything is formative. The lie of evil in your life is that some things don't matter. Some things don't mean anything. That's the path to darkness. That's the path to brokenness. Everything is formative. What you listen to, what you you talk about, what you read. And of course it has to be. Because we're either growing towards the blessed life or we're growing away from it. The Bible's not into these weird in-betweens. So what? Verse 2. Here it goes. But if everything's formative, what we do matters. Who we spend time with matters. Our friends, what we listen to, the radio broadcast, the podcast, our Facebook, whatever it is, what we're consuming, it matters. It's all formative. Is it sinners, scoffers, and ungodly? I don't know. Well, how do we know? Verse 2. But they delight in the law of the Lord. They delight. And on His law, He meditates day and night. This word delight This word delight on the law of the Lord. It means instead of doing all these other things with sinners and scoffers. And no, no, they're delighting in the law of the Lord. This is a heart posture. You don't delight accidentally. (laughs) Like there's a there's a choice and there's a moment of movement towards something that we greatly value. It's a longing, it's a yearning, a desire. You delight. You delight. It's a heart posture. What does it look like? What is it? How would you know if you're delighting? Well, you're meditating. You're meditating day and night. Here's a good get definition of biblical meditation. Here it comes. Taking the truths of the Bible and pressing it deep down into the base of your heart until it catches fire in your daily life. i say that again. It's on the screen too. Taking the truths of the Bible, pressing them deep down into the base of your heart until it catches fire in your daily life. I like that definition because it's vague. Maybe it's an app that goes off on your phone every 10 minutes or every hour, however much you need it. Maybe it's a sticky note that you put on your, uh, um, that thing that shows your reflection mirror. Gosh, maybe it's a sticky note that you put in your mirror. Maybe, maybe it's uh, something you, you say with your kids every day. Maybe to meditate, you have to say a particular prayer every morning when you go to bed. More on that later. We're meditating. We're taking the truths of the Bible and pressing them down. And so it's not the blessed life, the good life. Again, how many of you woke up this morning and the bad life? You don't. So what does the Bible say? You want the good life. Okay, it's not in sinners, scoffers, and ungodly. It is in delighting and meditating. On what? Torah. Say Torah. Torah, right? Torah is law, right? And here's an interesting idea about Torah and scripture. Torah, the law, and the words of God, it's the same idea. Because God spoke his words to his people. He spoke creation into existence. God speaking. In fact, the 10 commandments were originally called the 10 what? Words. The 10 words, right? And so when you see Torah, you can say, no, this is the words of God. This is the law of God. Interestingly enough, the Bible says, who is the word? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. The word became flesh. So Jesus is the word. More on that here in a minute. That was a, that was a hint. We're delighting in the word. We're delighting in law. There are two paths. This is it. The Bible isn't into these gray areas, y'all. The Bible isn't into y'all. Where am I at? Uh, the Bible isn't into this this in between. There are two paths. You got the good life that's blessed, and then you got everything else that's junk over here. That's the way it is. And what does it end it? Brokenness, death, corruption, sinning, scoffing, ungodly. I find it interesting to consider Saul and David in these things again. Saul orbits himself. Saul cares about his appearance, about what he's doing good, full of excuses. David chases God's heart even when no one's looking, even when no one cares, even when he's not preaching or writing psalms or doing things that are canonized or being king, when no one knows his name. David chases God's heart. Look at this verse again, 1 Chronicles 10. Saul died for his unfaithfulness to the Lord because he did not keep the Lord's word. He even consulted a medium for guidance, but he did not inquire of the Lord. So the Lord put him to death, turned the kingdom over to David, son of Jesse. Saul did not keep the Lord's word. He did not inquire of the Lord. He didn't seek. He didn't do this, right? And the people who don't do this, what are they? They're, they're associated with scoffers, mockers, and sinners, right? Right? This is a heart issue. You have a posture that looks like, man, this is so simple. We could stop right here if we wanted. Like, come on. Like, just look at the aggregate of your life. Look at the last week, right? Last Sunday, we did stuff here. Whatever you did last Sunday. Maybe you can't remember that far. Maybe three days ago. And then think about the last three days. Is your posture meditating and delighting in the ways God speaks through his word? Is that a posture in life? Or do you find yourself walking, sitting, and standing in a whole bunch of other stuff? And that doesn't mean the other stuff you're doing is fundamental evil or wrong. That's not the point. The point is all the things in your life only make sense through King Jesus, through the word of the Lord. Everything in your life only makes sense through King Jesus and the word of the Lord. Otherwise, it's just you, it's just what you're doing. The Bible doesn't have vagety on these things. This heart issue about meditating, this heart issue about going our own way, doing our own thing, being with scoffers, sinners, mockers, you know, whatever. And those are, gosh, those are such churchy words, right? Like you're never in conversation where someone's like sinners, scoffers, mockers, ungodly. So I understand the weight of those words. Turn, turn your mind off of the religiosity of them and just think about what it means to have a blessed life that is trekking towards what the Lord has for you, what he intends for, what he created you to do. And then going your own way. Saying, ah, I don't want that. I want to do my own thing. Romans 1 talks about this. We're going to read it together slowly. It's a lot. Romans 1 21 through 31. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Sounds a lot like Saul. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, don't miss that. They think they're wise. You might think you're wise. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshiped and served creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. This is that heart posture. Sinners, mockers, ungodly. You might say, oh, that's not me. I'm not a scoffer. I'm not a sinner. I'm not ungodly. They exchange the truth of God for a lie. So I don't, I don't want to meditate and delight in the Lord. I want to do my own thing. It's a worship problem. They worshipped something else. In fact, if that's you right now, here's an application from the end we're going to bring up here. You worshipped your way into whatever problem you're in right now. And your only solution is to worship your way out. I'm going to say that again. Whatever junk you got going on right now. Addiction, pain, bad relationships. My kids don't like me. I'm an angry parent all the time. I can't stop. Taking pills or drinking. Whatever tension you've got in your life. I can't stop looking at porn. I can't stop disagreeing with my life. Whatever tension it is. Whatever relationship. You worshipped your way there. By looking at yourself. By orbiting something other than the Lord. Your only shot is to worship your way out by looking to the Lord. That's it. Verse 28. Romans 1. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. God gave them up to a debased mind. And do what ought not be done. 29. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they approve of those who practice them. This is Saul, is it not? This is the path we see him on, full of these things. His self-orbit, his excuses that led him on Donald's spot. Look at this list, right? Unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. Throwing spears at people because they can't control their emotions. Needing to have people come play harps for them because they're so far gone that they can't handle where they're at anymore. They're so full of bitterness and anger and rage. Can you relate? Saul did not keep the Lord's word. He did not inquire the Lord. And maybe these verses describe you. Malice, envy, strife, deceit, slander, boastful, foolish, faithless, heartless. Maybe you don't want to admit it. Listen, hear me. Look at me. I love you. Evil isn't trying to get you to have this one big screw up in your life. Everything was going great. And then poof, there was a naked person in my bed and I made all the bad choices or everything was going great. And I just decided to take a hundred grams of meth and poof, I'm dead. Like, that's not how typically evil works. Everything was fine, and then I was just mad and enraged forever. Evil has a slow fade, little by little in your life. It's little by little, it's about you. Little by little, you're doing your own way. It's not trying to destroy you in one big swoop, but in this turning. It's in how you sit, how you stand, and how you walk. It's the postures of your life. And then all of a sudden... You wake up, you look at your life, and you say, I am wicked. I am a sinner. I am ungodly. I am a scoffer. I'm full of envy, strife, deceit, slander, boastfulness. I'm not trying to fill you with self-hate and self-doubt and discourage you. I love you. This is what the Word says. And it's important for us to bear the weight on us because what evil wants you to believe is this doesn't matter. Uh, Not everything's formative. Things don't matter. Did God really say this? No, no, no. You could be like God. You could decide good from evil. You could do your own thing. It'll be okay. Look at all these other people. They do it. They're fine. You're not as bad as those people. You're not as angry as that guy. You're not as mean as mom as that person. You haven't abused your kids yet. Like whatever it is, it gets you right. Oh, I'm okay. Little by little. By the way you sit, by the way you stand, by the way you walk. Evil wants to corrupt you. Mess everything up for you, for your family, for those around you. Maybe that's you. But you don't have to live that way. That's not the end. Because King David... Like you can look at David's life. He's in 1 Samuel. The Lord sought a man after his own heart. 1 Samuel 13, 14. Check out how David talks about the Lord's law. Psalms 119. I got a list of them here. There's tons of these in Psalms 119. But verse one, he said, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Verse 55. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, keeping your law. Verse 70. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. 72 the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. 77, let your mercy come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. But his delight, Psalms 1 verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. We're taking the truths of the Bible and we're pressing them down deep. Into our hearts, into the base, until it catches fire in our daily lives. This is the delight and meditate cycle. Maybe you're like, man, I don't I don't delight in scripture. I don't delight in this stuff. This is actually pretty awful to me. I can't wait till you're done because we gotta do lunch. Like, get get going, preacher man. Like maybe you don't delight in those things. You know your solution? To meditate. That's it. Just jump on the cycle. Just meditate. Maybe, maybe you're meditating and you don't find yourself delighting yet. It's like, man, I, I really meditate. Maybe you really delight in it right now. Like, man, I've delighted in the Lord forever, but you haven't taken time to actually meditate on his word in a while. Then jump on the cycle, meditate. It's all connected. This is why he says it together. Those who who delight in the law of the Lord and on his law, they meditate day and night. Psalms continues, verse three. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. This blessed person who's not not walking, sitting, standing with scoffers, with ungodly, with sinners. No, no, no. This person who delights and meditates. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaves does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. Chaff. Is that a typical farming thing? Those of you who are farmers, shake your head. Do you know what chaff is? I didn't. I I don't know what chaff is. I might have talked about this last time I talked about this. So I do know this. When I've roasted coffee myself in a whirly pop, uh, because I'm cheap, and so you're doing it, eventually, like, that, dude, the line between good coffee and burning coffee to where it's terrible is, like, instantaneous, and you can never do it perfectly. At least I don't. But anyway, afterwards, there's all this little stuff that comes off the coffee bean. I'll call it coffee uh, what's the word I was looking for? Chaff, thank you. Got Coffee chaff. And so what I do is I put it in a uh, thing that's metal, has a lot of holes in it. Pasta, strainer, colander, yeah. And I'd take it outside and i literally shake it because all the chaff stuff would, it would do this. It would blow away. And you don't even need like a gust of wind like you're a pirate on the seven seas. It's just like the little wind because it's useless. Chaff is intrinsically worthless, useless, meaningless. It wraps around the grain. It needs to be gone away because it's not edible. It's good for nothing, has no nutrients. It's literally useless. This is how the wicked are. The wicked have become useless. They've become less than human. They've pulled themselves away from the image of God. They've gone their own way to a point that they'll just blow away. They'll be gone. But a tree, think about a tree. How many trees do you know they're useful? Paper, fruit trees, tree stands when you're deer hunting. Come on, guys. Trees are great. Tree by living water, streams of water, yields its fruit in its season. What a great tree. The leaves don't wither. Anyone have a tree die that they really love and it dies? You have to cut it down. That stinks, right? Now this tree, why? Because it delights and meditates in the world. Listen to John 15. I said we're gonna get there. Jesus picks up on the same thing. It's so beautiful. Hear this. Take it in. I'm gonna read Psalms one more time. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaves does not wither. All he does, he prospers. John 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me The branches are gathered up and they're thrown into the fire and burned. Same image, same idea. You abide in Christ. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Abide in my love. How do you abide in His love? If you keep my commands. Ooh, it sounds a lot like meditating and delighting in the word of the Lord. If you keep my commands, if you keep Jesus' commands, you will abide in my love. Because ain't no one loves someone and then go completely against them go spit in their face and doesn't listen to them, right? There's a measure of love. Love is commitment and sacrifice. And if someone you love says, hey, there's this thing going on. We should talk, whatever it is, then we deal with that. We talk about it. You listen. Like it comes up. That's how things work, right? Says, if you love me, you obey my commandments. I'm talking to Jesus. If you keep my commands, you abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Catch this. Jesus is the vine. He's the tree. It's the same, same analogy, same idea. He is the source. He's the one. He's the tree. Right? This person will be like that. Who can be like that? Has any of us delighted in, in meditating on the word? Anyone in this room, anyone watching at home, anyone in the world, they've done this so much to a point that they are like a tree that's never withered, never had a problem. They're always bearing fruit. No, you're biffing it. You're messing up. But wait. It sounds like Jesus, though, right? Living the perfect life, doing the Jesus is this tree. In Him we bear fruit that's needed. Check this Jesus is the stream of water, the leaves that don't wither, the leaves that always have life, because He's the life. Jesus said to the woman at the well that He would give her living water in john 7 38 he said whoever believes in me as the scripture said out of his heart will flow rivers of living water if you believe in me jesus says john fourteen six. i am the way the truth and the life guys jesus is the tree he's the vine he's the water he's the word of god jesus is everything Jesus is everything. Say, Jesus is everything. If you remember nothing else today, every day of your life, take a deep breath, whisper under your breath, Jesus is everything. Because you aren't going to be this tree. You're going to struggle to delight in the word of God. You're going to have an issue of, of your heart. But thank God Jesus came to be everything that we couldn't be and to die for us. Because He is the tree. He is the vine. He's the living water. He's the Word of God. He's everything. Jesus is everything. Whatever junk you got going on in your life, Jesus is the answer. This is why we say things like, what a beautiful name. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. No sweeter name than Jesus. Because Jesus is everything. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. We can be with Jesus or it can be blown away, burned away. Those are the options. The Bible doesn't have this in between gray area. We're with Jesus, or we're blown away. Like chaff, like the wicked. Those are their paths. But Jesus says He's everything, the way, the truth, and life. Verse five Psalms one, verse five. Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows that the way of the righteous the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. God will judge. There will be a time when the wicked, when evil, when scoffers, when all the things that are ungodly, they're judged and they're separated. We all die. And then there'll be a time where God brings a final judgment and God isn't interested in how awesome you were and how many good deeds you did and how many times you came to church how many times you read your bible there's not a list there's not this cliché idea of saint peter up there saying oh well you you gave 11% every other week hmm, well I'm quite good quite good now the only thing that will matter is if jesus is everything for you to you that's it that's what matters and when the judgment comes the wicked will perish they won't have eternal life. But Jesus said, I've come that you'll have life, that you'll have it abundantly. God will judge and only the righteous will stand. The wicked will come to ruin, they'll perish. We can have eternal life with the Lord as he created us to do, and we can start that now. God has a purpose for your life now. All of you who think you got your life together, and you think you know, how would you know? How would you know that you're not on some spectrum of being a scoffer, of being ungodly, of being a sinner? How would you know? You delight and you meditate in the word of the Lord. God's spirit enters you. You believe in him. Your faith in Jesus spirit enters you and he guides you. And then you understand how the world works. You understand why you have the job you have, why you have the life you have, why, how things should work in life. Words like love, peace, joy, all these things we hold on to, they mean something because of Jesus, because Jesus is everything. What is your posture in life? Maybe you're more in the realm of scoffer, sinner, wicked. Romans 1 is your playbook, man. The slanders, all those things, that's that's all on you. You don't have to stay there. You can abide with Christ. You can give your life to Jesus, and you can be seen as righteous in him. Jesus is everything. Church, what is our posture? Just just for a moment, Is, is that something we do? Do we delight in the word of the Lord? Do we meditate on it? Do you see this is why we structure our service in such ways. way? This is why there's so much yellow in my notes. Because we're going to read scripture when we're here. We're going to talk about the word of the Lord. This is why we sing the word. We sing the words of God. We preach the words of God. We pray the words of God. Because that's all we got. That's why we gather. Is because Jesus is everything. Church, do you believe that only Jesus saves and brings eternal life? That God will judge the wicked? If you do... This is why we say we go and declare the gospel boldly. There are people you know who, who don't know that they'll be judged, who don't know that there's life in Christ. It's not on me to preach the best sermon in the world, so somehow it ripples through the internet and everyone just gets here. And this room is filled with people for David's awesome messages. Forget that. It's on you. Because he told us that he has authority. And he told all of us to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've you. And remember, I'm with you always. I'm with y'all always. Jesus is with you in those things. I want to close with two things. In your seat, there is a paper. It has the definition of meditation on it, uh, scripture meditation. Take it with you this week. That's uh, your homework, if you will. Take it with you and let that be a pattern how you think about things, how you process, how you can press the word of God so deep into your heart that it begins to catch fire. I want to end by reading Romans three twenty three through 25. And then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Listen, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's one thing all of us have in common this room. All of us have sinned and are separated from God fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. I want you to hear the word propitiation by His blood, received by faith. Propitiation is a complicated word. I studied it so much this morning. I've studied it a ton in life. Here's a basic understanding. A synonym for propitiation is satisfied. Our sin has separated us from God. And that sin was satisfied. It was paid for. It was dealt with by Jesus Christ hanging on the cross because of his great love for you. His blood covers you. That's what we're remembering when, here in a moment. When you take the cup and we, we drink the juice and we eat the crack of remembering his body and his blood and we can think all the way back to Passover and we can stretch it all the way up with the hyssop and, and the mercy seed and the word propitiation can connect to that. There's all these things we could talk about. But ultimately, you are separated from God and God satisfied the separation through Jesus Christ's blood. Jesus Christ rose again to give us all new life, to be received by faith. As we move into our time response, there's a couple things I want you to remember. Maybe you've never given your life to the Lord. Maybe you hear those words in Romans 1 and you say, man, I've gone my own way. I've done my own thing. I've tried everything else. I've decided to separate myself from God. Maybe you were, you were with God. You said, no, I just, I'm going to do my own thing. Maybe you find yourself far from God and full of all this junk. And you hear us say, Jesus is everything. And you're like, man, I don't know if Jesus is everything to me. Thank God that he's put you here right now. This is your moment. Today is the day of salvation. I'm not trying to emotionally manipulate you to do anything. I'm saying that if the Spirit of God is moving in you, if He's calling you, come forward while we sing this song. We can pray, give your life to the Lord. Quit messing around. Quit hanging out with scoffers, with mockers, with ungodly. You don't have to do that. You can delight in the Lord. He can transform you by your faith. It's nothing magical except through your faith in Jesus Christ, through what Jesus has done. It's not on you. It's on Jesus. Secondly, if you want to celebrate the Lord's Supper with us, as we sing this song, there'll be some guys up front and you can come and get the elements, you and your family, and then we'll go to a time of celebrating the Lord's Supper together to remember that God put forward Jesus as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. I'm going to pray. If you need to do business with God, if you want to come pray with me, if you need to give your life to the Lord, if you need to join the church, be baptized, whatever God's moving in your heart, this is your time to respond. There are two paths. There's the blessed path, the right path that God's put you on through faith in Jesus, or there's everything else because everything's formative. And the whole Bible's message is you're either being formed in Christ, saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, or you're going your own way, which leads to chaff, death, burning, separation. It's your choice. And we lovingly invite you. Let's follow Christ together. That's why we're here. Seek King Jesus. His kingdom come, his will be done. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would guide us as we respond, as we move into celebrate the Lord's Supper. Father, we trust you. I pray for anyone that needs to give their life to you, any decisions that need to be made, that your spirit would be moving boldness by the power of your spirit and King Jesus, that those things would be dealt with, that evil would be separated from this place, that the doubt, the fear, the the anxiety of the day, the tensions over timing, anything that might be going through our heads that, that pattern us away from you, that we would not walk, sit, and stand in ways that are apart from you, God. Right now, that we would turn to you, that we would look to Jesus, abide with him. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for saving us by faith. Guide us as we worship you, as we celebrate Lord's Supper together. Guide us as we make decisions and seek you. May we look to you, Jesus. Amen. This is your time. Come get the elements. You can come talk and pray. I'll be up here.